Cool. Well, Dan Bub, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. It's good to be here. Yeah. It's an honor to have you. <laughs> well, you can you can uh, reserve the right to make that judgment afterwards. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you were a not a founder, but an early owner of GorgeNet. Correct. As well as you were a founder of your own software company right. at another point. And then since GorgeNet, are you retired? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much? Yeah. Still doing a little bit of work? Um, just a little consulting on an as-needed basis. Okay. Yeah. For yeah. GorgeNet or for... Yeah, for the, the, the company that was created um, as part of GorgeNet. So two companies combined, and then there were some acquisitions, and now they're growing. So it's called Blue Mountain Networks, and okay. they cover... Uh, the GorgeNet footprint plus Hermiston, Pendleton, um, you know, so it kind of a, was a growth to the east okay. down the gorge. So did uh, the, was that like a company that acquired GorgeNet? Correct. Well, Blue Mountain was created when GorgeNet was acquired, and another company, Eastern Oregon Telephone, was uh, also acquired, and then uh, they put the two together and that became blue mountain okay yeah. and, and but blue mountain was created by the same founder that created GorgeNet, or no. just happened it to be just created at new, the same time yeah just a brand new company that was the result of that merge okay yeah interesting so, so is it yeah yeah so just mainly just kind of a, the industry is going through kind of a roll-up process anyway a lot of small internet service providers are getting purchased and um, larger companies formed um, just to economies of scale uh, benefit mm. that so right so the little mom and pop shops are kind of getting all bolted together and um, some money gets injected into it so that they can leverage the existing footprint and customer base and right. so on. yeah so we were that's basically what the the game plan was is to merge the two companies have a larger footprint and then uh, invest a fair amount of money into fiber optic networks, which is really the the name of the game mm. these days. So, and what's so for people that don't know? Because, and I don't really know honestly. What's so great about fiber optic? Well, I, I mean, there's a number of things. Um, the capacity of fiber is, you know, orders of magnitude more than uh, copper, which is what the internet was being uh, carried by is a lot of copper and um, wireless technologies but you know in a single strand of fiber um, you can you well for a cable about the size of my little finger you can put a hundred strands of fiber in it mm. and one strand of fiber can carry you know um, hundred gigabits of data uh, so that's you know right. a lot of capacity and so um, you know, you look up on the telephone poles and you see these cables that are, you know, the size of your fist that are all copper, that's all copper wires and they're, they're heavy, they're awkward, they, they, they don't carry data the way that fiber does. And so that stuff's all in the process of being decommissioned throughout the U.S., well, the world for that matter, um, and replaced with fiber. Mm, so it really is a full transition yep. to fiber optic. Yep. And were you guys, have you guys been doing that in your region for a while? Yeah. Yeah. We, we started it probably, I want to say 
15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, um, we started our first fiber network to basically, we were buying circuits from other carriers to connect sites that we had together. And um, so we connected the sites with fiber. And then since we had our own fiber connecting the sites, we thought, well, you know, we have fiber running right by this business or this house or whatever. So let's provide them service. And then the thing just kind of grew from there to where then you, you know, deploy, you pick a neighborhood and do fiber to the home, to, you know, to every, to every home in the, in the neighborhood. And mm. so it's a very expensive process um, because some of the, some of the installations involved a fair amount of underground construction. So we're trenching and um, repairing sidewalks and driveways and gardens and stuff like that. So it becomes really expensive. Right. And is do you think that'll get cheaper? Like, will are there is there room for it to more wireless to come yep. in on kind of more of a small nodal scale? Or? Sure, sure. There's like a lot of different models that um, involve both like a, a fiber wireless hybrid solution. So it's fiber to a wireless node, right? And then the wireless node has a just a small cell, um, say you know, one or two blocks maybe right? Um, that provides wireless coverage within that area. Mm. Um, so then the deployment isn't as costly because you're doing wireless um, to the end user, but you still take advantage of the capacity that the fiber has because the, you don't have a bunch of wireless customers being served. You know, you only have a small handful of wireless customers being served off that node. Um, but wireless has its limitations because typically it's, um, unless you're talking cellular, uh, like your cell phone, most of the fixed wireless are line of sight. Mm -hmm. So you have obstacle issues, trees, buildings, stuff like that, that, that get in the way. If you use the, the um, frequency and power that your cell phone uses, then those, those are not as much of an issue. But the small, well, not small, the you know, fixed wireless internet service providers don't have access to that frequency and it's expensive. Mm. So because it's reserved for the long range, it's reserved for the AT&T, T-Mobile, you know, hmm. um, companies like that. Right. And it they, kinda... they purchase that spectrum mm. or the right to use it. Yeah. Who do they purchase it from? The government. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of like a, 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 uh, permit to use that frequency. Correct. Yeah, it's like a, thing. yeah. I don't know if it's a. I I, don't, I wouldn't call it a lease, but it's a it's a right to use, um, and it's based on, um, you know, what the frequency is, how how wide of a band they're they're wanting to use, and then um, what geography. Mm. So, and different markets have different values, as you can imagine, buying a chunk of spectrum in, that serves New York is worth a lot more than the exact same spectrum in Eastern Oregon. Right. So. And so are you guys like the in-between from like, who are you guys buying the internet from or like what tower, like you go from someone's house to some far off place. Right. And at what point do you pass it off to some other provider? Sure. So we had, uh, we have, you know, we built a network that covers, you know, basically from now from Pendleton to Cascade Locks, our two east-west 
extreme points. And then from like Goldendale, White Salmon, you know, just kind of the southern part of Washington all the way down to, um, you know, all of Wheeler County, all of Sherman County, most of Wasco County. Um, so, so we have this network now that's uh, consists of a bunch of nodes, you know, or network equipment that's all tied together via fiber. And some of the fiber is fiber that we own, that we installed and and operate, and some of it is fiber that other carriers had um, deployed that we lease. Mm. And then we also have some wireless. Uh, segments that uh you know we're we're connecting uh like a wireless tower where that serves a bunch of people wirelessly then we have a, a big wireless connection that goes back to somewhere that there's fiber on our network so it's mm. kind of like a spoke architecture so you have you know a main aggregation point and then you have things that hang off of that that are um higher capacity and then those spoke and then those spoke Right. Um, and so you have this big network that's connected ultimately with fiber. And then that network connects to um, either Internet providers such as, you know, AT&T could be one of them. Um, we connect to um, their companies that most people wouldn't know of unless they're in, in the industry. Right. Um, but like. Uh, wave broadband, um, uh, uh, hurricane electric, um, you know, there's, there's a bunch, but we also, a big chunk of our data is connected to peering points. And so we have a connection to this peering point and so does Microsoft, so does Amazon, so does Google, so do a lot of the content providers. So they all have these big fat connections into uh, peering point and so do we and so instead of the traffic hitting the internet it just hits the peering point and we exchange traffic uh, without it ever seeing the internet which makes it really nice because it doesn't get bogged down by a route through the internet and other people's traffic this is a dedicated connection to a peering point each of us have a dedicated connection to a peering point um, and internet pure internet traffic costs money the peering point traffic doesn't cost any money and i'd say that's probably 70 percent of our traffic so but that's only to specific addresses specific um well when you think about it like netflix um youtube all of those guys participate in these these peering platforms and so um so yeah you're right it's not it's not all internet traffic but when you look at the amount of traffic that is exchanged with say the top hundred providers which include you know google microsoft netflix and so on that um, satisfies such a large portion of the traffic that's exchanged that um you know then then you only have the 25 percent of the rest of the traffic that you just dump onto the internet and it it's routed wherever it's supposed to go right so so it is so there's some private party that hosts the yes. peering point yeah it's um yeah there there's one in portland called the uh, at the piddock buildings downtown um portland there's one up in seattle uh at the Westin, um and so they call that the six, I forget what the one in Portland's called, but yeah. And then um, we pay a connection fee 
but it's a flat rate depending on the size of your connection. And then um, there's a, there's people who run, you know, because that's there's a big piece of equipment that sits in the middle of all of this that um, somebody's responsible for managing, maintaining, and so on. Right. And so, uh, but relative to the cost of um, passing traffic on to the public internet, um, the peering points are considerably cheaper and faster. Mm. Huh. So, and to get to those peering points from your network, is that fiber? in the ground is that fiber in the air is that wireless fiber it's all fiber um and whether it's in the ground or in the air honestly we we don't know because we'll jump on to uh other carriers fiber mm. that uh and then get a a dedicated connection to you know via via their fiber that lands in the peering point and so um and there's you know there's a lot of people who have who have that super competitive market. If you wanted if you say, Hey, I want a 10 gig connection to, um, the six in Seattle for appearing, you know, for peering traffic, there's probably 20 companies that could get that for you. Right. So, yeah. and then there's the other side of getting it from getting it into someone's house. And then the, the modem or the, or the, the wireless connection inside the house. Do you guys also, you also see that side of it too, right? Yeah, you have yeah. to provide that equipment. Yeah. And is that, as the, that, I imagine that would be, is that more complicated? Well, or not complicated, but more muddy, I guess. Yeah. Muddy is probably a good term. <laughs> There's a lot more variables, right. right? So you have, like, if you pull up your phone, or you, let's say if you pull up your Wi Fi router and you, you know, said, what all is connected to my network? Uh, <laughs> I, you would be shocked at how many things are connected that, you know, smart devices, um, you know, your refrigerator, your heating system, your, you know, whatever, your TV, all, right. you know, it's just, it's amazing how much stuff is connected to it and where that stuff sits, how far away it is from your, from your router, um, how much traffic there is, the age of it, um, the different protocols that are used. Um, there's just, you know, there's so many variables that um, troubleshooting issues that happen in the home itself is it can be it can be difficult. For right. Sure. And there's a lot of potentially a lot of contention for network traffic, you know, when you have all those devices that are connected, especially sure. when you're doing any kind of streaming or, um, you know, uh, any yeah any of the streaming services. So. Right. And that sounds like a nightmare to to service and support yeah people with these different configurations and all the and you're like well i can't help you what are you using yeah, that for right, right, or like right. well recently like because of that recently we we've pretty much required to use our wi-fi router you know you can go to walmart or whatever and buy one and they have good stuff there but we pretty much require now that they use our stuff because we know then we can get into it right. and we can say, hey, you're you know, what you're trying to connect to has such a low uh, signal that that's that's part of the problem. You need to put a repeater next, you know, so extend your network or move things around or, or whatever. Find find a, a way to improve the signal strength um, or you can find out how much traffic's on the network. So we just have a lot more insight as if we were in the house physically. And so that allows us to do a lot better troubleshooting. Right. And do you, were you guys actually 
developing the that hardware? No, I I wish I would I would be in that market. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I mean, I think there are a lot of opportunities there for sure, especially as the you know the the internet penetrates deeper into into the home. You know, there's so many things that you can do with that awareness of of the internet. You know, from optimizing um, power consumption or gas consumption or you know whatever. I mean, if you can just any amount of where of awareness, if if you could connect every single thing in your house to the internet and monitor various aspects of it, there's a you know control things you can do. There's optimization things you could do. There's um, you know, sharing of information that could be helpful um, for trending. There's, there's, you know, the number of things that you could gain insight f from, and then ultimately turn it into some kind of a benefit would is is staggering. And right. that's where you know, I mean, I think that's where things are heading. And is it is that hard still in the like in the current day? where you have all these different devices that now want to connect to your router. Is it hard to get them all on the same page and, or is it kind of to a point now where it's pretty just it's pretty automatic now? Yeah. You just, you know, every device, you know, it just says it had, there's a way where you can point it at your router and, you know, give it the, the, the network name and password and boom, now it's on and whatever, you know, whatever, interface you have with that device whether it's your heating cooling system that you want to or your hot tub or whatever that you want to make sure is hot when you when you get to town if it's on a you know if it's at a remote location or whatever um uh once you have everything set up yeah there's no it's usually pretty straightforward it's just that i have like probably 20 apps on my phone because they're not all integrated. Right. You know, so one for my heater, one for my lighting, one for my, you know, my garage door, one for my front door, one for my, you know, it just, the list goes on and on. And it'd be nice if there was, there are some standardizations occurring um, where one app is compatible with a lot of different devices. Right. But, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of annoying. Yeah. Sure. And that's, that's really that's really outside of your guys' totally. business, right? That's Absolutely. like other side of the fence. Yeah, we just do <laughs> we do a speed test, and if it's what uh, we said we would deliver, then and that checks out, then we're pretty much good to go. So <laughs> speed tests are cool. I love speed tests. Yeah. Are you guys like how does how does that work? Do you guys just send? You just have a bunch of packets or data already, and you just send them as fast as you can and just yeah, see how fast they actually come yeah. and go? Well, we host, most ISPs host a speed uh, test site. And, um, uh, and and if you don't, you can use somebody else's speed test site. So whether we hosted one or not, I mean, all the people we interact with, most of us have our own speed test site. So, so you have an application, um, a speed test application, and you point it at one of those sites and then you just say go and it it it's it knows how to just jam as much data um down the pipe as it can right and then it measures how much um you know what the capacity of that connection is um both up up you know uploading and downloading and then the latency also which is right. important um and then it reports that back yeah it seems like we're 
we're re like in the past year i've noticed a difference where it seems like most internet if it's relatively new is so much faster yeah. than you can handle like yeah. you can't you yeah, can't download to... you can't watch enough movies at the same time right yeah no that's great yeah it used to be you know, you could choke your internet connection pretty easily just with one TV. <laughs> right, right. What What have been the biggest innovations, do you think, that like recently to, that have really opened that up? Well, I think, you know, the fact that fiber networks is the prevailing way of trans, you know, of, of hauling internet traffic around. It's all on fiber optics. And, and upgrading, you know, adding more capacity fiber networks is pretty straightforward. Um, so, uh, so that helps the, you know, the middle, what they call the middle mile connection, all the, you know, connecting the, the various sites together. And then the last mile distribution from, you know, from, uh, from a node to your house, for example, um, the technology there has improved quite a bit, both, you know, in that fiber connections to the house are a lot more common and wireless technology's gotten a lot, uh, gotten a lot better and your routers are getting a lot better too in terms of managing the traffic and um uh dealing with noise and stuff like that so um i you know so i think improvements all the way down the line have really made a big difference right and are we kind of at a point of diminishing returns or do you think it's going to keep continuing uh, i think to... it's just gonna yeah i think i think it's just gonna keep growing yeah as at the rate that it has been just just because of like say just the number of devices that um, that are on the network and the content is so much richer. You know, it's like back in the day, you know, you would pull up a web page and it was a static page, just a bunch of text. So that's right. pretty lean. Um, and now as you add video and images and audio and you know the content is is interacting maybe with the back-end server behind the scenes and you don't even see that happening you know so there's there's data there's data going back and forth that that you may not even be aware of so as more capabilities um come online um just the the amount of data that that goes back and forth between the client and the wherever the you know, wherever the data is coming from, uh, is just going to continue to grow. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, that's really helpful. I think that gives our listeners a good idea of like what, what, it, what an ISP looks like from the inside. Yeah. And yeah. what was, so what were you doing before you bought in? Cause you did buy into GorgeNet, right? right as right. an owner, what were you doing before that? So, well, we moved, my wife and I, Connie, we moved here uh, in 87, and um, I got a job with Advance, it was Advanced Navigation, at the, or I mean Advanced Systems at the time. As a mathematician, um, they were doing a government contract with Lockheed for the F-22. Mm. So we did a lot of simulation work for the avionics in that airplane as one of the competing, um, we were one of the competing, Lockheed and Boeing were basically competing for that contract. Right. So it was kind of bizarre, you know, that this little company in Hood River uh, had their kind of 
toes in the door in Lockheed to be to just carve out a little chunk of of uh, work from them. So that's that's what brought me here, and uh, and and I ended up being not really a mathematician or mathematical modeling. Uh, I ended up doing more software development, mm. and. So the software team started to grow. We were collaborating more. We didn't have a network. So I thought, well, we need a network so we can deal with revision control and how we distribute things. So so I built a network and then e we didn't do email. So I thought, well, the company needs to be on email. I mean, this is things like you don't even, you know, you take it for granted now. You're just like, but back then, not at all. I mean, you know, sending emails, you just didn't do that. There were, there was no email, uh, you know, in terms of like inner office email, especially. So, so I kind of got an interest in that. And then I had a buddy who, worked at or works at Microsoft, who was also very, Microsoft was very interested in the internet at the time. And so he and I talked a lot and there were some opportunities to do some, some consulting with them, which they, I didn't know anything about the internet, but Microsoft was interested in sharing what was the state of the internet at the time and wanted somebody to harvest the information and present it. And so, because I knew this guy because my friend said hey would you be interested in doing this so I said sure so that was like collecting what are all the different tools that are out there right now so this is like you know uh, HTML 1.0 and the first instance of a browser and we were using gopher services instead of web services and you know what email clients are out there and you know super um, archaic stuff or very rudimentary, I guess. Um, but anyway, so I, I just kind of ended up starting leaning towards that sort of uh, technology as opposed to the mathematical modeling, which is what I was hired for, and then got involved, you know, like I said, with these other side projects and then um, and then ultimately ended up starting a software company writing software and um, installing networks for offices because now, you know, now people are like, well, we need to be on a network. So, uh, but there, you know, nobody in town was really doing that. And so I'd go and buy 20 computers and, and bring them into the office, set everything up, get it all going, set up right. some email for them, you know, just kind of getting it, getting it all together. And so anyway, who were some of those companies? Uh, my first, contract was with Don Nunnemaker Realty. Mm. Oh. Don was a technology uh, guy. He loved technology. Uh -huh. And so he, he wanted a network and he was, uh, uh, he was awesome. He was a huge advocate for me because I had no, you know, I didn't, it was not something I had a resume for. And so he gave me a shot at it and uh, we, you know, stayed in touch and were friends, you know, for all the way through until he passed away. And so, um, so that was my first one. And then other real estate offices, um, and, uh, I did some work, you know, for like Decline and there, there's, a, you know, a lot of companies that were just starting to kind of come online. Um, 
so yeah, that was that was it. But but it was kind of a side focus because what I was really focused on was uh, writing software because we had I had just landed I I didn't work at ANPC or A or Advanced Systems anymore. I quit my job um, to start up my software company. Right. W walk me through that decision a little bit because yeah. that decision is really right. That's yeah. like going out on a leap, sure. like out on a limb, taking a leap. Yeah, it was totally that. No, it was cool. I, I, you know, I think about it, you know, the timing of everything seemed a little bit off, but it worked out really well. And that when I was at Advanced Systems, since we had a lot of engineers there, somehow, you know, people would know that we were doing software and um, other technical things. So we, this guy came into the office and said, Hey, we have a glass tempering system that we need to rewrite. It was written in basic. And the guy who wrote it uh, was the only one who knew about it. And he was old, older. And uh, he's probably how old I am now. But uh, anyway, <laughs> at the time, he was a, so uh, they were concerned that, uh, well, one, the software was not manageable. Uh, it was, it, a bunch of spaghetti code written in basic and they wanted to upgrade the system they wanted to upgrade the user interface they wanted you know to to basically modernize the system and so they asked us if we would be interested so i brought it to my boss he said no that's not what we do and so i gave my uh well so i went back to the the company and uh said my company's not interested in doing it but if you will take me i'll do it myself and they said, sure. So I gave my notice that week and parted ways and um, started doing the software development for this glass tempering system. So it was really like a one project <laughs> company. <laughs> that was what started it. Right. And it was, you know, so, and now, you know, today they have, I don't even know, probably 40 installations throughout North America of this tempering system with the software and the control system that we put together so and i was able to pull some friends that i had worked with in the past into the team to help uh to help put the thing together because it was it was a pretty good sized project so okay yeah. so at that point you weren't like like i guess how long did you think that project was going to last when you quit your job um i figured it'd probably take a year to write it okay and get it all you know, worked out and then we were going to get maintenance on top of that. And then we were going to be doing the installs as well. So we would go out to Indianapolis to a plant that tempers glass and take, take out the old system, put in the new, test it, make sure everything's good. And then, you know, if there were custom features that they wanted, then we would be involved in implementing those. So it, it, it ended up taking on a pretty long life. And then they, they, ended up adding other things like cutting the glass and um, organizing it. And I sold the company around that time, so I wasn't involved in those projects. But the guys who worked with me ended up uh, buying the company, uh, one of them. And uh, he kind of took it to the next step. So It seems like it just, like, like, were you looking forward? Were you thinking, okay, after this project's done in a year, there's going to be, like, like what was the plan? Was there a plan, or no. were you just shooting from the hip? There just really was like, not, no plan. Or I mean, did you think about a fallback? Did you know that you could go get another job if you had to? 
like you know it's funny i never even um never even considered that honestly for some reason i just felt like i needed to have my own business and that i would figure it out my wife was pregnant when i quit my job too and so <laughs> failure of failure was not an option so we we um yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think that that's, you know, what you really learn a lot about yourself because when your back's against the wall, you do your best work, you know, yeah. you just, you just do. And I had some, you know, 20 hour days that I was just trying to bust stuff out and um, keep things moving. And um, so, yeah, but now I never even really, I honestly never really even thought about what would happen if I if I was failing, I, I just kept going, you know, and that's why I ended up doing the network installs and stuff, you know, as like side jobs and staying involved in internet stuff. And then the core was the software business. Mm. And so, um, so I was, you know, so trying you had... to get as broad as I could, but I had the one uh, project that had a lot of depth to it right. and um, was good paying. And so um, I was just thinking, well, you know, when this thing starts to sunset, maybe some of the other things will start to ramp up or maybe I'll find another um, uh, large software project and, you know, we'll just keep rolling it right. forward. So, yeah. What did you study in college? Did you... So my, I got a liberal arts degree um, for my bachelor's. Okay. And but it was technical, um, so it was a liberal arts degree in math, which seems a little. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> is it basically just yeah. a math degree? Yeah. Well, yeah. Except for that, you know, it's a math degree, but we had to take religion and philosophy and geography or geog geology and. Um, uh, history. I mean, we, we had to take everything the school had to offer. We had to take something out of every discipline, at, le at least um, six credits, I believe, out of every discipline in the school. Right. So, so, so it was really broad that way. And then I, then I ended up going to grad school and I was deficient. I went to grad school in math. I was deficient in math because of that, because I didn't have the, the depth in some of like in calculus and mm. um, some of the other classes. I didn't have uh, a whole year. Actually, I was missing um, before I could really start taking graduate level math classes in some of the different disciplines. But um, so, yeah, it was a little light on math, but really uh, broad on on everything else, which. I would do it exactly the same way if I would do it again. Right. Yeah. Because it cool. was cool. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, there's things that, you know, things that I would have never, I would have just blown it off. And turns out, you know, Western civilization is kind of interesting. You know, I would never expose myself to that. Religion classes, being taught about religion as a, as a class, not being, trying to be persuaded to think a certain way but more right. like hey this is you know this is the kind of the layout of the various religions and you know is what it is and right. I, I thought that was pretty cool and logic classes and um you know just it, it was neat to be exposed to things that you if you were allowed to just pick your way through 
you would have, you know, cut yourself, it, it would have been, you know, you would have cut yourself out of that exposure that I think is really interesting. Do you feel like that helped you in your career? Yeah, yeah, no, totally, for sure. Yeah, just, just to be open and familiar and learn things that maybe aren't um, in your core skill set or your core interests, you know, because it's hard to rule something, it's sad to rule something out that you're not interested in when you don't really even know anything about it. So it's kind of, right. you know, judging a book by its cover in a way. So, right. Yeah. And then, so you studied all this math and did you really like math? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So you got to study all this cool math and then did you get to apply much of that cool math? Well, so then I went to Oregon state and, and was truly, you know, in the math program. So, um, so we took a lot of different math, but the one class I really enjoyed was in abstract algebra, um, which is uh, number theory. And it turns out um, the encryption algorithm that when you go to a secure website, the encryption algorithm that they use to encrypt the data so that it's a secure transaction um, is based on number theory. Mm. And so it turns out it was a not, you know, it was... Um, not an applied discipline, but turns out um, it became very applied ultimately because of the internet. Right. And so, so I always thought that that was really cool. And so I ended up, I not, I didn't know that the internet was going to, things were going to happen the way they did, but oddly I ended, I, I ended up enjoying the number theory and abstract algebra piece. So I latched onto that and that's what I got my master's in. So interesting. Yeah. So were you kind of the encryption guy at, at Gorge now? <laughs> no, 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 as it turns out, kind of different stuff. Um, plus, I knew how the algorithms were put together and I knew the theory behind it all. Um, but, you know, they make special hardware and optimize things so that that all works. And right. um, so, yeah, no, I wouldn't. And and, you know, the little pieces that you want to encrypt, those are all built into the applications in a lot of a lot of times, like a billing pro a billing software. They encrypt your credit card in the in the billing software. I don't I don't really have access to stuff like that. Right. So, so no, I ended up not um, ever using it, you know, uh, specifically. But I used the, what it developed was just, um, I felt like it really developed my ability to understand understand abstract thoughts and also to be able to break things apart into simple problems and um, solve those and put it all back together. So it just it was a, probably the best brain training I could have ever put myself through. So that, that part right. I used more just how to think. Right. Yeah. So what was your role at GorgeNet? So, and if it changed, I guess, what were the different? Right. So when GorgeNet first started, it was started by two guys. One was technical and one was sales. And six months after they started, the technical guy passed away mm. and he took the passwords and the know-how, nothing was documented. Um, he took all that with him. And so the sales guy, he and I um, knew each other because he, wor he worked at Computerland where I, I would buy equipment from, from him. So we knew each other. And so he called me and he said, hey, I need some help. Um, you know, my 
my partner passed away and I need to be able to do this, these different, you know, simple things like add user accounts and um, I got a modem that's messed up or whatever. And so that, that just kind of went on. And so I helped him do that, but I wasn't really that interested in the business. I was just helping him out. And, um, but one, you know, it just like every week it was something. And since the company had just started, they weren't making that much money. So he wasn't really able to pay me. I wasn't really all that interested. So I wasn't that worried. And I was super busy on the software side, but this went on for a year or so. I, I can't remember how long it went on, but at, at which point I got together with them and I said, Hey, you know, obviously you need somebody technical. You owe me money. How about we make a deal? Um, I'll write off what you owe me. You give me half the company and we'll be partners. Right. And so ultimately that's what happened. And so we were 50, 50 partners and we started, you know, we just had dial up internet access in hood river. That was it. And so then we turned up, so you had a local telephone number in the Dalles and then a local telephone number in Goldendale and Cascade Locks. And so we started creating all these local telephone numbers that would get, you know, that you could use to get on the internet. And um, I think at the height of it, we probably had like 15,000 dial-up internet customers. So, so is dial-up just a different protocol and it's over telephone hardware? Yeah, you just like like your phone line, which nobody has anymore yeah. <laughs> there's no phone line yeah, yeah. over a phone line you put a modem that basically um converts your data to a digital signal and then it transmits it over the phone wire to a piece of equipment that also has a modem on it that you know interprets the data and that's that little um you know, those, those were 28K connections. Mm, 28 kilobit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so now you, know, you measure, yeah, now you measure, you know, a slow connection is like 10 or 15 meg. Right. So, yeah. So is telephone analog signals? Yeah. Yeah. So then the, the dial-up internet was just a digital, digital signal yeah. on the telephone. Right. Yeah. So Interesting. It, yeah. And so that's that was kind of your role in the beginning. Yeah, so all things technical was my role. So okay. as the company grew, you know, we so my job was to deploy our services in the Dallas Goldendale White Salmon and so on. So I did that and then makes and then tie it all together back mm. to what we were talking about before. So all these sites had to come together and then we would package all that up and we had a big internet connection that was in Portland, so you know, basically putting all the network components together and then growing that. And then, you know, the modems got faster. So swapping out hardware, then we started, um, we started doing wireless as well. So we got rid of some of our copper connections that were very, very expensive and replaced them with wireless connections. Say like from Hood River, we had a dial up, uh, some dial up equipment, the people we dial into in White Salmon, our office was in Hood River. We paid, I don't even, it's like $1,000 a month for a 256K connection between White Salmon and Hood River. And so... Is that across the bridge or was that wireless, you're saying? No, that was over copper. So however the copper went, it was just a you copper connection. We didn't know. care how it yeah. got there, yeah. <laughs> and then um, 
we turned up a wireless connection and just pointed it right at it, which was went from 256k to to like five meg, mm. and it was free to operate. Right, we bought the <laughs> right, equipment, but right. you know it's free after yeah, that. Yeah, and so we started getting like, wow, this wireless stuff's pretty badass. You know, we we can let's start doing more of that. So we just started doing a lot of wireless. And then um, DSL te technology started coming on around the same time. Um, and then since we had 15,000 dial-up customers, we, we had thousands of phone lines. Mm. And um, I had hired a guy. Meaning another, thousands of your private internal phone lines yeah, like for in, sending to the outside world? Yeah, coming in, so it was like, you know, people in the neighborhood would call one number. Right. And then that would be where the equipment is, and that number would roll to another number and so on. So every person that called in would have to have available to them a dedicated phone line at, at our site. Right. And so if there was 100 people that wanted to be on the Internet in Hood River at the same time, we had to have 100 phone lines mm. that came into our equipment. Hmm. So we were... We had thousands of phone lines. So one of the guys that I had hired to kind of help me on the technology side, he's like, well, why don't we be a phone company so that we don't have to pay for all these phone lines? And so mm. we did. So we became a phone company and we canceled. You know, we had a, our phone bill was over a million dollars. It was like 1.2 or $1.3 million a year just for the phone line. Right. Phone lines that we had. And that, that bill basically disappeared overnight um, once we became our own service provider. And what was the cost that you paid? We had to become a, what they call a CLEC, which is a competitive local exchange carrier. So a, okay. a, a, a phone company recognized by the Oregon and Washington Public Utilities Commission and the FCC. So we were like a registered phone company because it's, um, it's a regulated thing. And then, um, and then we had to locate some equipment in the CenturyLink central offices. So our, our equipment tied right into there so that we could be part of the telephone network because you had to connect to, you know, a carrier. And then, um, so that, it was all pretty expensive. We probably spent, by the time it was all said and done, you know, it was probably half a million dollars of stuff that mm -hmm. we had to do to get going. But, you know, to turn the switch off on the phone bill, once all that investment had been made and turned up and working, um, was pretty, um, it was pretty cool. Right. Because then we, we were pretty profitable at that point. Interesting. Yeah. Is that kind of the, one of the big first steps in, in revenue that you get, or profit yeah. that you guys made? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was huge. For Interesting. Sure. What yeah. year was that about? 2000. Okay. Yeah, I remember it pretty well. Yeah, because we it was life changing. Felt like you made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't feel like I made it. I, I had a sense of urgency at that point. It's like, how can we get more of this? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Interesting. That's yeah. probably important not to get kind of uh, what's the Complacent word? Complacent. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean you would think that that might happen, but honestly, you know, it was so cool, and you know, I was younger still, and. Um, it was just, um, it was energizing. It was like, man, this is super cool. And it's not, it's, it's not really all that hard. And it's a growing industry because the internet was growing like crazy at that time. Right. And so, um, 
So we're like, you know, doing it at trying to figure out how to do as much as we possibly could. And um, so that's, you know, so we grew in the gorge, but unfortunately we didn't grow outside the gorge. Uh, you know, that's probably one regret. I, I wish I'd have been even more aggressive and gone, you know, mm. more statewide or, you know, but whatever, it, it worked out fine. So, right. But that yeah. was an area that you could have harvested more sure. business, more. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, so that was like 2000. Then the dot-com crash was soon after that. Right. Yeah. Did that affect you guys much? No, because no, and it, people it still affected, needed internet. Right. They still needed internet. It affected, uh, you know, it did affect some people. Um, we didn't, we were, um, we did everything on cash flow, so we didn't borrow any mm. money at first. Right. And I think some people who were really extended, uh, they got hurt by the, right. the dot com crash. But um, but now we we sailed right through it uh, pretty un, untouched. Right. And, and and at this point, like how many employees did you have? Um, when we, when we kind of switched over to being more telephone company oriented, uh, we probably had 20, I want to say 20 or 25 people at okay. that time. Yeah. And what, was it easy to find good workers? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty good. It was pretty easy. Uh, you know, we didn't ever really find people who knew what we needed them to do. You know, it was all, everything was pretty much learned on the job. Right. Yeah. So it's more we were just hiring for uh, capacity to learn and, um, uh, you know, cultural fit, stuff like that. Right. Attitude. Yeah. And... Attitude. And yeah. So which was interesting. And obviously we, we missed a few here and there. <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> so then so then what, what was kind of the next big milestone in the business? Like then there's probably a few, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a bunch of like mini ones. Like the wireless was huge, honestly, um, because we adopted wireless and um, because the cost of operations is quite low, because once you deploy the equipment, you're not paying anybody for anything. Right. You pay for maybe renting some space on a tower, but sure. it's pretty nominal. Yeah. Um, and we were used to having to pay the phone company for every phone line every month, you know. Right. Um, so wireless changed that whole model. And um, uh, so that was a pivotal moment. And then the DSL was also pivotal um, because it got us into the whole um, telephone, be becoming a telephone company, which allowed us to provide our own phone service, which ultimately chopped the cost of operations down dramatically so that that was another milestone and then probably the next big one was just the fiber optics mm. and the how all that started to really come online um, and you know we built our first network connecting six sites in hood river and um, uh, again everything was about optimizing cost of operations we definitely took an upfront hit but we were paying for all those connections that were connecting our, our sites every month, you know, we were paying a thousand dollars per link. And, um, and so, yeah, it costs a few hundred thousand dollars to deploy the fiber network, but once it was deployed, you, you know, there's no cost to operate it. I mean, you know, relatively speaking. Right. And so that was always the game for us though, was to how do you, 
how do you minimize the cost of operation? And were you involved in that business financial side of things of doing that analysis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big part of what I did. So I was looking at how much would it cost to change the way we're doing things and then what's the return on that investment. Right. So. Because you, you know, you probably you needed to know all the technical details to know if it was really feasible. Right. And all the equipment required to say, yeah, it's actually doable. Right. And then sometimes you probably had to say, no, I don't think it's a good idea. It's not worth it. Right. Or not yet. Yeah. Well, and a lot of it, it was like it was worth it, but we had to scale, um, you know, how much do we do? So it was, right. it was not a matter of like, okay, we know that this, this technology is the right technology. We know we want to do this, but we can only do Hood River, for example. Right. When we wanted to do Hood River, the Dalles, White Salmon, you know, and so on. Right. So that's, that's another thing. You know, had I been more risk tolerant, I would have borrowed a lot more money and just done it. Right. And then, um, but, and we did end up, ultimately, we did end up by borrowing money to build some of the fiber networks that we built. Interesting. So, yeah, because, I mean, that's the only way, yeah, that's really the only way you can do it nowadays. It's very Just because the intensive. quantities are so, the amount of capital you need is just so much. Yep. Mm. Yeah. yeah it's and good. it also depends on interest rates a little bit. And yep. Int yeah, the terms right. of the loan and, yeah, the, yeah, how long... How long the loan is yeah all the all the stuff that i, I consider myself a technical person too although i like to, I, it's it's really interesting because you seem to have a similar um level of interest or i don't know like did you enjoy the business side of things well that's what really so you know one thing that i um benefited from was that whenever we were hiring say somebody technical i always wanted to make sure that we hired people smarter than me mm. because I, I, we would not have gone anywhere had I not done that. <laughs> so luckily that was, that worked out. And, um, so having those smart people, especially on the technical side, um, having them there allowed me to focus more on the business. Mm. And so my shift you know, I went from the most technical and probably by the time we had 25 people, I don't know if I would have made the top five te oh, wow. technically. I uh -huh. mean, I knew I knew what we were doing. And, you know, I, I mean, I was very hands on. But my biggest focus was just, you know, how to optimize <laughs> the business. And then what, what's the next step? Who should we partner with? You know, what, what kinds of what are the what's the what's the strategy? for the next six months to a year, and then how do we pay for it? Right. So, And were you guys a pl pretty flat organization? And for a while we were. Uh, then, you know, we kind of got to a point where I just had this kind of aha moment. Uh, my partner was on vacation for three months, and uh, the company was very flat organizationally. And so... Uh, I took that opportunity to create some structure in the company. And so uh -huh. <laughs> all of a sudden we had a head of field services. We had a head of our technical side. We had a head of sales. We had, you know, so that I only had to talk to five people right. instead of 25 people. Right. And it made it, I made a huge difference because, uh, you know, it, it allowed them to elevate their game again, back to, you know, 
growing people and giving them opportunities to shine and, and, um, you know, the right fit, the appetite to grow and learn things. Um, it really gave people the opportunity to do that, which is super fun. And, um, and it allowed, you know, me to focus on the business and then just get, you know, kind of the updates and, and with the, the key, um, components of the company. So. Right. Was it hard to make that transition and to get people up to speed with the new way of doing things? No, I mean, it, it was, it evolved. It didn't just like happen like the flip of a switch. I mean, it did happen flip of the switch, but like we were all kind of doing it together. One, right. um, you know, one of the things that the reason why I, I guess I was so driven to start my own company was I never, I didn't really feel like the jobs I had good jobs and stuff, but I didn't feel like the employees were ever appreciated appropriately. Mm. And so I always told myself if I was ever in a position to employ people that I really wanted to um, create an opportunity for them to feel valued, grow, um, go to their kids' soccer game, you know, stuff like that that really, you know, allowed for a, a family, you know, a family kind of a feeling to develop within a company. And so I, I focused really heavily on that, which allowed me to like, you know, push hard on people and, and expect, expect things from them. But at the same time, they knew that, you know, I was there and I'm doing the same thing and we're all learning together. And, you know, um, it just, I think it created a, a, safe place to to grow and try things and um and not everybody worked out that way but you know it it um i think the culture really started to take over in that way that you know people could grow into their positions even if um you know they didn't didn't know at first they were given opportunities to to grow right and what were some of the best ways that you found for appreciating people like what did people respond to well you know that's what's kind (laughs) of that's it's an interesting question because i I, there is no one thing it's like i tried so all kinds of different things and i'd get like 30 percent success right you know (laughs) and so um but then that's where i realized you know it's like well that's because everybody's different right and so then and we just started like like I said, going to your soccer, your kids' soccer game or music recital or or whatever, that meant the world to one person. So that translates to somewhat flexible flexible work schedule. Right. Right. That was worth more than money. Right. You know, one guy's all about vacation time. You know, another person. You know, and then we start out started buying food because people. You know. People come, they're running late, they don't eat breakfast, so like, all right, well, we're going to have fruit, yogurt, granola, you know, oatmeal, and it's going to be at work, so show up, it's going to always be there, Mm -hmm. you know, so some people took advantage of that. Sports club, you know, just like every little thing I tried to try to kind of create a healthy, supported atmosphere um, was super appreciated by a, you know, 30% 30% of the, and it was a different 30% for every single thing we did. But, right. Um, so I think, you know, trying to know, you know, trying to know what matters to 
you're mm. you know to a person right. is huge right instead of you know because i'm i know there's you know a lot of people i like my boss doesn't even know me he doesn't even know i have kids he doesn't even know that you know this that or the other thing it's like right but when you plug into your your people um that that means a lot and it means a lot to me too because then i got to know you know if they're going through a rough patch or whatever i'd have some understanding of that or you know whatever so it just it just made it so we were all tighter and it, it actually created a huge amount of trust too because um we were you know in some ways part of each other's personal life not not hugely but enough to like appreciate what everybody was was doing and what mattered to them and you know we had the whole spectrum from you know hardcore conservative to you know big time liberal and everything in between and and um but to create an environment where that that's okay you know that um there's no right or wrong it's just everybody's different so we all you know to, to the most part you know we all kind of accepted each other and and that that was worth a lot so i don't know if that really answers it but it, it you know yeah i mean it sounds yeah absolutely because it's not it's just a there's no there's no one answer that's like oh you just do this yeah it's you have to try different things and yeah and it also seems like you didn't just go all in on like getting everyone a sports club membership maybe it was only the people that are going to use it you right. get a sports club membership well and that's how it the yeah it was i think i charged ten dollars a month to anybody who wanted to use it so they had to pay a little bit right if they only if they didn't use it two or three times a week then i charged them thirty dollars a month oh. and so if they had it and started not using it then it was going to cost them and so then they had to either bow out or start using it right so so yeah stuff like that but you know is it, it again it evolved over time and then you know and also is a lot of transparency in terms of things I, you know, like I wanted to know what people we, you know, communication is probably the biggest key. Just wanting to know what people think about what, what could we do better? What could make your life, you know, we're spending a third of our time at the office. What, what can make it better? Right. So, and we had all kinds of bizarre stuff. So people are sitting on bouncy balls and, <laughs> right. you know two people wanted a desk that goes up and down and like i mean you know it's just right. like but the fact that you would stop say okay that's a reasonable request and do it they're like damn that's cool right and so when you need something from them they're like hell yeah let's do this and you know it's works both ways right and so, has, has that has that culture stayed pretty strong um, over know, the you years? Know, I mean, that's the funny thing. You know, when I when I handed the reins over to the new guy, um, you know, he he provided a different culture, mm. and so, um, and I knew that. You know, you don't want. You know, it's it's never going to be. You know, when there's a change of leadership, it's the the guy at the top sets the the tone for the new culture, whether he's trying to or not. That right. just happens, and um, it changed pretty significantly and then he he just left uh, a couple months ago and now there's a new guy and now he's has a whole different culture and demeanor than than the um than the my uh the guy who followed me right um 
And so, yeah, it just kind of continues to evolve depending on uh, who's who's the guy at the top. Right. So, and yeah, you know, to say it's better or worse would be an unfair way to characterize things. It's just, um, you know, it's different. Right. And, and, you know, my culture didn't jive with some people. So I, I the, my culture didn't work for, for some people. So those people didn't stick around where, you know, that same person, the culture that exists today, uh, they may have thrived, they may thrive in. So, you know, right. They want, they might want something more structured. Sure. You have to show up at this time. Right. You can't eat any food. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And some people are like, okay, cool. I, I want to make sure my coworkers are here too. Cause they didn't like right. the fact that, you know, somebody was going to be gone that afternoon early to go to a soccer game, you know, or whatever. And it's like, I get it. I get it. You want to know your coworkers are putting in the time and that they're, you know, that you can count on them. Um, so, you know, you have to work through all that stuff, but yeah. Right. Yeah, so, so what are some of the biggest challenges that GorgeNet is trying to solve or you're helping them solve today? Well, I mean, right now what they're doing, it's, it's the internet right now is it's a big land grab in terms of, the first person that deploys a fiber optic network in a community will own that community. Mm. So, so that's, it's, that's it's, the land grab right. that's going on. And it's been going on for, for several years now. So. And are you, is it, are you required to grow to survive in this with the model that they have? Yeah. I, I mean, no, I, I I would say you're not required to grow. You could be quite profitable. Let's say, you know, we just took a snapshot of where we are right now. Um, and uh, we have fiber in Hood River. We have fiber in Goldendale. We have fiber in, you know, a lot of different communities. You could just uh, kind of s- stop and run those networks and they're they're running profitably. And you could optimize things on um, not growing, but just uh, optimizing operations and you could make decent money. That's kind of boring to do things that way, number one. And number two, if you have investors that want to help you grow your business, um, they're going to want to return. So they're going to want to see you grow. They're going to see you be more profitable. They're going to want the company to grow in value. They're, you know, so depends on which game you want to play if you want to borrow money and grow then yeah you you have to do that um if you want to just kind of hold um onto what you have and um just make it profitable and just kind of hold steady then yeah you can definitely do that too it's it it just wasn't and i mean i that's kind of where i reached a crossroads because the kind of money that was necessary to grow the way you really needed to grow. I was at an age where I didn't know if I wanted to dip into uh, debt to that degree at my age. And so I decided, you know what, I think I'm just going to pull the chips off the table right. and let somebody else do that. So, yeah. So if you were, if you were young again in today's world, if you were 22 or whatever, kind of in that same position that you were in when you were at advanced systems. Mm-hmm. Like what, what advice to someone in that same position today might you give considering that, I mean, from my perspective, it seems like the world is more complicated, more chaotic, 
and maybe you're like, no, it was just as complicated and just as chaotic back then. So maybe that's irrelevant, but right. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty complicated and chaotic now. Does, does <laughs> it feel it sure different? Seems, yeah, it does. It totally does. And, you know, things change super fast. But, you know, I think that that's actually is going to be a constant. That was happening in, in a large way when I was your age, too. Mm. And so I think it's all relative. I think, you know, your generation is used to a lot of chaos and a lot of things happening and you guys can you know filter things out maybe better than i could back then and so you have a way of managing the distractions uh maybe better than than i did but um you know the thing that it, it the thing that i think is that i feel like i benefited from are are kind of all, almost opposing forces and that was um one you know, the ability to just hunker down and stay focused on something because there is so much distraction out there. Um, a lot of shiny balls. There's a lot going on. Um, Hood River is such a uh, active community that it's not only professional um, endeavors that distract you, but, you know, big snow day, big wind day, nice dirt out on the mountain bike trails, you know, stuff like that are tugging at you constantly. And, um, being disciplined so that you can focus on whatever whatever it is that you're doing, you know, uh, I think is um, is extremely important because doing well is what affords you access to those those distractions. It gives you the hall pass to go skiing. It gives you the hall pass to go windsurfing or whatever. Um, if you're not doing well, if you're not hunkering down, you know. I think it jeopardizes your ability to do the other things that are distractions out there. So that that's one thing. And then the opposing thing is that, you know, I, 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 that's my kind of heads down mode. Right. I have my heads up mode too, where you got to listen <laughs> to what's going on around you. You know, like that whole, the guys that wanted to have us write that software, you know, I could have said, sorry, we're not doing it. Right. And see you later. And, you know, and I think I was about ready to do that, but I'm like, wait a minute. Then I had my kind of heads up moment. What do I really want to do? Like, do I want to work at this company? I'd been there for seven years. And I'm like, do I really want to keep doing this? I didn't hate it. The people I worked with were awesome. Like all, actually almost every single one of them to this day is either has their own business and is successful. Mm. And so it was amazing, amazing group of engineers. Um, but you know, I had just had that thing tugging on me. Like, I don't want to work for not, not only this company, but any company for the rest of my life. Like this, this, somebody just opened a door for me and I, I stopped long enough to think about it. And, um, so that was like a heads up moment and those heads up moments, I think pass by all the time. So, you know, managing that is can be challenging because i think a lot you know there's opportunities that pass by all the time but you know being able to consider things and and you know have your eyes open occasionally and then know how to hunker down and put the blinders on and and you know get stuff done um you know and how do you bounce back and forth between 
those two different mindsets because they're very, you know, one's creative, free flowing, risk taking, you know, those, those kinds of things. And then the other is just like, I got a task at hand. I got to kill it. Right. You know, because like say doing well at that part of it, it, you know, it builds off, it builds off itself and allows you to do other things. Right. So, yeah. Well, I so. think that's a perfect place to end it. Yeah. Because that is, that is just, it reminds me just like you went to school for, um, for liberal arts and mathematics. Right. Right. Super opposing, yeah. but both are helpful. Yep. So yeah. Thanks so for much sure. for, for coming. This was, uh, super enjoyable yeah. and it was an honor well, <laughs> after the fact, <laughs> I could say it. Well, thank you because you ask great questions i've it's fun just i mean i'm surprised we don't have a beer sitting in front of us just talking i know right i'm still getting all the all the things worked out Uh, that's the first thing i noticed was there is no fridge in here so yeah (laughs) Yeah, we're working on that all right man thanks